0: It is August 12th on Wednesday, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. I've just been busy, but I have some big news for you. I think we've hit a big milestone. Uh, this podcast is now on Stitcher. Now, I don't know the Stitcher, the popularity of Stitcher, but I know a few years ago, if you were on Stitcher, that was a big deal. Uh, do you know, Brian, if Stitcher is still popular?
1: I believe it is. Yeah, it's one of the premier podcast platforms as far as I understand.
0: Yeah, it took a little work to get on Stitcher because Blueberry, my podcast provider, does not put me on Stitcher. Uh, in fact, they don't even work with Stitcher, so I actually had to dig around to figure out how to get there, but they approved me. I did the search. I'm there, so uh, you can pick it up on Stitcher now, and uh, as well as Spotify and Google Cast, so probably just about any podcasting platform I'm on now. Anyway, uh, Brian is my guest. We're going to talk about two things. First of all, let's get into the Bundys here. The Supreme Court, appro- or not the Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals approved the Bundy case. Well, they didn't, they they uh, upheld the Bundy case of uh, Judge Gloria Navarro. I'm not too surprised, are you? No.
1: No, I know everybody was, you know, kind of holding their breath, thinking, well, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty progressive court, and so mm-hmm. sometimes they've come out with some fairly surprising um, uh, rulings. But in this case, there was so much egg on the government's face from their initial prosecution of the Bundys that I don't think, uh, I don't think that the Ninth Circuit wanted to see them go back for another helping.
0: Do you think Ammon will sue the government because we saw in the Randy Weaver trial where the government was sued and, oh, and they paid Randy and his whole family, his biological children, money. Do you think that'll ha- Do you think Ammon will sue the government, if nothing else, just to get the message across uh, that this is highly unconstitutional and very inappropriate?
1: I, I know that if he chooses to, to sue the government, it's not going to be out of a desire, you know, to get a payday because he understands as well as anybody that, um, you know, it's, it, it's the taxpayers who always end up having to write the check for that. But I know he definitely has incentive to make sure that those who made that happen, who imprisoned him and his dad and his brothers for, you know, for, for two years or the better part of two years, need to be held accountable. And, and they need to, to feel the pain, if you will, to know that they can't get away with that kind of behavior.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing just how much they got away with. You know, the reason I supported Cliven, even though initially I did not agree with his tactics, is because who's next? That's why I supported Cliven from day one, even though I would have handled things differently. Uh, I knew that from reading about the Weavers, it's always deeper than just one person, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think what was unfortunate for the Bundys was there was uh, not only certain politicians or certain political uh, politically charged government agencies that were uh, making them uh, sound like domestic terrorists, but the media kind of played along too. And so most people, what they know about the Bundys, consists of this one-dimensional caricature that was uh, spoon-fed to them by a media that's hostile at best to the Bundys and what they stand for, and, and at worst, just doesn't care, because they, they don't fit the narrative of you know an oppressed minority.
0: Yeah, and it didn't help that uh, some of the mainstream talkers like Glenn Beck fed into that. I, I was very disappointed.
1: Yeah, when, when, Glenn Buck, when Glenn Beck threw the Bundys under the bus, that was disappointing to a lot of folks. Um, I think Beck has done a lot of good for helping to open people's eyes to various problems and, and, and the principles that are at stake. But in that case, I think he was scared. And I think that's why he was trying to distance himself from them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that Sean Hannity stood up for the Bundys until Cliven talked about and I'm quoting here, folks. I'm not uh, making any racial slurs. I'm quoting, you know, Clive and Bundy said, I wonder, I'm wondering if Negroes are better off picking cotton, uh, being enslaved as opposed to, and I'm somewhat paraphrasing, as opposed to being in their current status right now. And I think that's when he lost a lot of people. Now, at that time, I'm fully aware that Glenn Beck was talking to Sean Hannity off the air so do you think there were some behind the scenes issues going on and Glenn Beck was trying to tell Sean Hannity, quit standing up for Cliven?
1: You know, I don't know. Cause I, I don't know what, uh, what kind of a relationship uh, Glenn Beck has with Sean Hannity, you know, how close of friends they are. I think both of them were, were concerned. Um, Cliven, and Cliven would admit he's not the most eloquent media spokesman. And when you're being followed around by cameras and microphones day in and day out, especially with reporters waiting to ask you loaded questions, it's just a matter of time. I mean, I'm Kevin, I'm a fairly savvy guy. I've been in the media for a long time. I know how to think on my feet. I would be very careful in answering. But if I had people following me around 24-7 just waiting for me to screw up, eventually I would.
0: Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about something that I think is exciting. I I know you've been excited. Now, on a previous, on a podcast, in fact, the first podcast I had you on, we talked about you being adopted. And I asked, do you think that your mom has heard your radio show and you didn't know? Well, tell us, uh, walk me through how you found your biological parents and what happened did you have a good relationship let's just start from the beginning here okay um earlier
1: this year my son david who is kind of a family history buff he really uh, resonates with learning about uh, our ancestors who came before us decided to give me a dna test from 23 and Me for father's day and i was like oh okay you know i'm not going to talk him out of it but uh I just hadn't got to the point where I was willing to do it myself. But he said, I'd really like to see if maybe we can learn some information about your biological parents. So I took the test, you spit in the little tube and send it off and they, they test it. And then you have to wait a little while to get your results. And I, I didn't realize my results had come in until I woke up one morning with a request for, um, uh, to connect on 23andMe with, uh, apparently a, a second cousin of mine. And so I was like, oh, neat. Looks like I got my results. And I logged on to 23andMe and it said, you want to see who your closest relatives are? And I went, well, of course. And about five seconds later, I was looking at an image of my biological dad. And I was just like, wow, oh, that, was, that was quick. I did not expect that I would, would see something. And it was, there was no doubt. I mean, I looked at the guy and I'm like, yeah, that, that dude is definitely my dad. <laughs> and so I, I sent a request to him and connected up with him over the next couple of days. And since then, I think I have spoken to him or emailed him um, at least a couple times a week. We now do Skype calls. and um, Anyway, it's it's been a very fun and very positive experience for both of us. Um, he said he'd wondered, you know, whatever had become of me. But he and my birth mother came from very different backgrounds. You know, she was from a very... Uh, strong LDS family, very conservative family. He was from a more non-religious background and, and more left-wing in his thinking. Both of them were um, extremely bright academics, and they just uh, they felt like to try to raise a child in that kind of a marriage would be a huge disservice to me. And so that's why they put me up for adoption.
0: Interesting. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think they did the right thing, or how do you yeah. feel? That, that's interesting. I've been
1: very supportive of adoption because I was raised from a very, very young age. I mean, seriously, as early back as I can remember, I remember my parents who raised me telling me that I was adopted. And so there was never any stigma. There was never any sense of you know feeling separation or feeling unwanted. Now, I have two adopted sisters who are not as big a fans of adoption. They kind of felt like they they didn't uh, agree with that decision. And Um, Only one of them has managed to reunite with her biological mother. Uh, The other one has tried and hasn't been successful. But I've always felt like it was a really selfless decision on the part of my biological parents. And I'm very grateful that they gave my, my mom and dad a chance to raise me because my folks could not have kids on their own.
0: It's interesting that they adopted you because they didn't feel it was fair for you to be raised in the, you know, your mother being, your biological mom being real right-wing or conservative LDS and your father being left-wing. Most cases you hear about, oh, well, I was born out of wedlock and... My, it was a stigma, so my birth mother adopted me. That wasn't the case in this. Did, did you find somewhat of an irony in that? Yeah, because I think I had
1: grown up most of my life thinking, okay, so my birth mom was probably some teenage you know, girl who you know, ended up pregnant and did not uh, have the wherewithal to, you know, to settle down and have a family or to get married. And, and I was wrong. No, actually, they, yeah. they were both they were both graduate students and fairly well along in their, their careers, both very intelligent and, you know, bright people um, and, and would have been capable if they had chosen to get married of, you know, making a, a life uh, as far as, you know, they, they, they weren't hurting for opportunities for, you know, education or for employment, but they were both clearly going in different directions and they felt because of that it would have been a huge disservice. So I wouldn't second guess their, their uh, thought process on that. Again, I think to, to give a child up for adoption is a very selfless act. It's not, you know, ducking responsibility.
0: Was it um, painful you're, for your parents to adopt you, do you think? Was it painful for your dad to separate from your mom? Do you think that there were hurt feelings there? Or what, do you think it was painful? Because I would imagine even though it was necessary, it would have been painful for both parties. You know,
1: I don't know for sure. Um, I, I can tell you this. My biological dad married shortly after I was born, as did my biological mother. They married different people. Um, and, and she went on to have a family of her own. Um, and, and so I, I have some half-siblings out there, and, and um, I'm actually going to get the chance to meet them this weekend. I'm really excited for that. Oh, wow. But, um, my, my biological dad, he married and then divorced. And then, uh, he's pretty much been a bachelor for most of his life. And that's, that has suited him well. And I, I don't know, I've not had a chance to talk to my biological mom and, and kind of get her sense of, you know, what, what did you feel? And, and I don't know that I even want to ask her that just because that's a chapter of her life that's been closed for a long time. And I don't know that it, it would be appropriate for me to ask her to revisit that. I can tell you that I... When I asked my biological dad, did you ever wonder about me? And his answer was, yeah, but I never thought that I would connect up with you. I knew there was a chance when I did 23andMe, but what a surprise it was. And, and it turns out it was really a pleasant surprise and a really positive experience for both of us.
0: Now, what is your, where is your biological dad now? Um,
1: he lives in the American Southwest. And you'll understand it for the sake of, of their privacy. I, I won't get too specific. Uh, my, okay. my biological mom lives a little bit closer within a couple of hours of me, but, uh, you,
0: you know, want to give the state where your biological mother lives or not?
1: Um, I live in the same state as her. In oh, okay.
0: Okay. Um, well, okay. So, um, what is, if you don't mind us, uh, if you don't mind telling us what did your biological mom end up doing for a living? Um, you know, I don't know. I
1: know she was, uh, she was an extremely uh, smart student, and I think she may have been an educator. Um, but she also she was a she was a mom, and every person I talked to who knows her has has commented to me about what an incredibly caring and giving individual she is. Like if if somebody was passing through and and down on their luck and needed a warm meal and maybe even a place to rest their head, she would open her door to them. And uh, you know, apparently, just. She's just a very, very kind person. I've heard this over and over from the people who know her, including my biological father, who, who just remembers her with a lot of fondness and says she was, you know, very funny and, and very caring. And it's, I'll tell you the really interesting thing, Kevin, and that is to see the pictures of them when they were younger and to, to see the resemblance, it's wild, to, to see people who you share genetic history, you know, who look like you, but uh, they appear in your life, you know, very late on, you know, when you've had an entire lifetime, not even knowing that they existed.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Now, is your uh, mom, into pol- your biological mother into politics or anything like that?
1: Um, I don't know. I assume that uh, she is probably still very much of a, of a conservative bent. But uh, I I don't know the extent. I I find a lot of people, especially as as they start to get uh, a little bit up there in years, um, have a tendency to kind of become moderate or or more mellow about politics. And maybe I'm hoping that uh, that's because they realize in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that much. For instance, my biological dad says, Hey, he's pretty, he's pretty left wing, which you can imagine I'm thinking, Oh, great. So he's probably done some research on me. He's listened to my show or listened to my podcast and realizes, yeah, this, this guy's not very left wing at all, but we still managed to have incredible conversations. And I'm just, I'm very happy to have him in my life because the political angle, it doesn't really matter. I won't let it be an issue. It wouldn't prevent me from, from wanting to, to, get to know him and and to to be a part of his life
0: yeah now how has has both of your biological parents listened to your radio show before you met them just stumbled across it on the internet or your mother may have stumbled across it on the radio do you know if that ever happened
1: i am pretty sure that she did not know anything about me until the day that i sent her a letter thanking her for uh, bringing me into this world and thanking her for her decision to give me up for adoption and just um, assuring her that the great gift that she gave me is something that I have not squandered. I'm pretty sure she, you know, had no clue who I was or what I was doing. Now, of course, since that time, um, you know, when, once you realize, oh, wow, this, there's this other person out there, you know, I'm sure her family has done some research. I know I talked with my half brother. He is well aware of the fact that I'm a radio host. and I think he has actually listened. Because in times, uh, in the last few weeks when we talked, he said, I know you have to go because you have to be on the air at a certain time. And I went, oh, he's done his research.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you wonder, you know, uh, a little bit off topic. Uh, when you do your radio show, do you picture while you're doing your radio show, who would be listening to you? Because uh, I, sometimes, I picture when I do this podcast, who might be listening?
1: Yeah, I do. And you know, the, that was one of the hardest things for me to learn um, in my radio career was stop talking to a crowd of people and just think of one person and, and have a conversation like you're talking to one individual. And so that's what I do. And, and that, the face of that individual may change from time to time, but uh, that's, I always try to carry on whatever I'm presenting as if I'm sitting and talking with one person and it is for them and them alone.
0: Yeah, well, uh, so I don't know if you ever got a chance to look up the lyrics Alive by Pearl Jam. Can you relate to those lyrics if you've looked it up? I'm not, I'm not
1: familiar with the song. I'm sorry to say.
0: Okay, well, it starts by saying, son, I, have I got a little now in the lyrics? Your, your story is not as dramatic as I thought it was. That's I'm glad I asked you first. But it says, son, have I got a little story for you who you thought was your daddy was nothing but. And then it goes on and says, while you were alone, while you were home alone, or while you were sitting home alone at the age of 13, um, something about how you were talking to, how he was talking to a guy that had cancer. And then it goes on and says, sorry, you didn't meet him, but I'm glad, we, I'm glad you talked. And then Eddie Better sings, I'm still alive. Uh, do you feel like the lyrics of that song a little bit? Of course, if you read the lyrics, you find out it was probably a teenage mother that gave birth out of wedlock. But do you feel any, uh, resemblance to those lyrics?
1: I have to hear the song and have to, to really, you know, hear the lyrics to, to give you a straight answer on that. I can tell you this when, uh, when I first reached out to my biological mom, um, the response that I eventually received, I received nothing for weeks on weeks on end, you know, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe she isn't really interested in connecting. I gave her an email address and said, if you want to connect with me, here's how you can do so. And I actually heard from my, uh, my half-brother first. He reached out to me and said, look, mom, got your uh, letter. And she's actually tried to respond. And, and I, I guess I should point out, um, I've learned that uh, because of her age, she is experiencing um, some, some cognitive decline. It's, it's not uncommon, you know, when you, when you get to, to that age. Um, and so it, it causes, you know, some memory issues. And so when I finally did hear from her, it was a very nice thing. I was thrilled to hear from you. Thank you. It was very nice to see that uh, my decision was the right decision to put you up for adoption. And I was hoping there might be a chance that we could meet. But she said something like, "Well, um, perhaps we can meet in the hereafter." Oh, and yeah. I'm not going to lie, Kevin. I my my heart was heavy. I was like, "Oh, okay." So it may it may be a deferred kind of meeting. I just I wanted to meet her, if for no other reason, just to look her in the eye and tell her, "Thank you. You have no idea how much I appreciate the decision you made." And it looked like it was going to be one of those things that would have to be deferred. Well, my my half brother, graciously reached out to me and said. Please don't take that answer as a final answer. Like, okay, the door is shut and bolted shut. You know, he said, let's uh, let's approach her again and just let her know you would be interested in meeting with her. Um, and he was working, you know, with her from his end. And this time, I received back a very very kind reply saying, I would love to meet you. And you know, here's you know here's where I live and here's how to get a hold of me. And my you know, there's no surprises. My whole family knows about you now. And that was something that kind of surprised me. Was um, her kids, I guess, uh, had, had grown up, you know, not knowing, and and they they figured it out some time ago. But uh, but she still kind of treated it like you know it was not something that that they would have known about. So when that letter arrived from me, you know, she handed it to her son and said, "What do you think of this?" <laughs> and and he played it like, "Oh well, hey, what a surprise!"
0: <laughs> now, yeah, do you so. It sounds like, do you think that, sounds like your siblings, your biological siblings, half-siblings, whatever, found out, uh, you know, they pieced it all here. Do you think that they, I guess it doesn't sound like they found out before they read the letter, though? Or do, do you um, think your mom Actually, will, they,
1: they knew something like mm, probably close to 30 years ago.
0: And how did they, they find they out? Knew.
1: I'm not sure. That's a, that's a conversation I'm I'm hoping to have with them. Um, I, I have three half siblings. Unfortunately, um, one of them is no longer alive. Um, she took her own life back in the, the early nineties. And, oh. and so I have a, a half sister and a half brother that uh, they, they knew, I just know he said when he got back from his mission, his sister said, by the way, you know, mom had a, a child and gave him up for adoption. And he was like, Oh, so they've known for quite some time. They just haven't, uh, they haven't known who their, uh, their older half-brother is, and he made me promise, you know, no noogies or anything like that, and that I would remember that he's still the favorite son and always will be.
0: It's interesting because uh, I'll share a personal story. Um, in 2012, I had just returned from a meeting, uh, Organization for Blind People, the National Federation of the Blind, And I got a call from my sister, one of my sisters, saying, Kevin, we need to meet with you. It's very important. I thought, oh, crap. At the time, I was dating a girl who none of my family approved of. And that is really hard to be in a relationship with someone who your family members do not approve of. And I thought, oh, somebody has an ax to grind with this girl that I am dating. I'll bet you this is going to be a very uh, unpleasant conversation, possibly heated conversation. And so I got a call again, and she, one of my, my sisters said, are you home? Yeah. Well, I need to meet you. This is very important. I th- Does this have anything to do with who I am associating with? And she said no. And so when she met me, when my sisters came over, and introduced me to one of my biological nephews that was adopted, I was relieved that that was the worst thing that was going on. There was a part of me that was relieved because um, I thought it was worse, and uh, I can't say that I have the greatest relationship with my nephew. I could probably work on it. But we talk probably once every three months or so. I've gone up and seen him quite a bit up in the very top of Utah. And it's interesting that uh, a lot of people say that our voices sound alike. I don't think so. But it's interesting. Uh, He's very left-wing. I'm very right-wing, conservative, whatever. And so we kind of had to agree not to talk about politics. But we have a lot of other things we can talk about. We can talk about technology. We can talk about food. We have other things to talk about.
1: Um, Uh, It sounds like it's been a good experience for you. Yeah. I will tell you this. One thing that really was a pleasant surprise to me when I first spoke to my biological dad on the phone was I discovered that guy has a magnificent voice. I think he has a way better voice than I have. And I was like, wow you know, but, but he never, he never did broadcast. Uh, He may, I don't know if he may have been involved in, you know, some community theater or something, but he was an academic. I think his degree is like, he has a doctorate in um, Victorian literature.
0: I don't even know what that is.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, he's, he has spent his life in and around academia. He's traveled the world. He's taught English as a second language in Afghanistan and, um, his, his wife, when he was married, briefly, was a, uh, uh, what kind of scholar was it? Uh, Fulbright scholar. And so they lived in Germany, and he traveled all over Europe. Uh, he's a very well-traveled, very intelligent guy. And it, it's the thing that I thought was neat was I've always had a lifelong love of reading, of books, of words. And even though I hated writing when I was younger, I, I now really love to write. And when I look at uh, at genetically... A combination of people who created me, I'm like, oh, well, this makes a lot of sense because they were both uh, very, uh, very academic and, and both very gifted in, in language arts, particularly.
0: Interesting. Wow. You know, I wonder about uh, some of my old ancestors that have passed on and ancestors that I, well, didn't meet in this life. Maybe I knew them in the pre-existence. Who knows? But I wonder, you know, I wonder if my biological grandfather on my mother's side, you know, I kept hearing he was into politics. He was very conservative. He was into Cleon Skousen and President Benson's politics. And I thought, well, wow, sounds like me. Um, now I'll admit, I'm, I, I will admit here I'm about 20% liberal, especially when it comes to mass transit. Certain things, but I would say I'm probably about, oh, I don't know, 70 to 80% conservative. Wouldn't you think you know me pretty well?
1: Yeah, I would say you definitely lean more to the conservative side.
0: Yes, especially when it comes to land ownership. That's probably where I'm the most conservative. But um, anyway, it, it's interesting that it, it'd be, I'd be interested to have a conversation with my Biological grandfather on my mother's side in the next life. See how much we do agree on, because I know that he was a real advent listener of talk radio. So am I. Of course, talk radio was different in the 40s and 50s. One thing I've learned about my grandfather is that he carried a transistor radio everywhere he went. And there were times where I'd carry a Walkman everywhere I went. Nice. Um, Is there anything else you want to say about your experience, though? Because I do want to touch on something uh, while we have a little bit of time left.
1: Just this, um, the, the, the whole thing started because my son, David, loves to learn about family history and, and something, and he's, he's uncovered some really neat things uh, about, uh, you know, our various relatives throughout the ages. I was reading an article by James Walpole um, earlier today that talked about how it's really important that we take our character seriously. And we take our reputation seriously, not just what people think of us, but, but who we actually are. And what James Walpole was getting at is take it seriously because there are descendants that you will never meet in this life who will cherish you if you are a person of good character. And I, I know that's kind of a deep thing to think about, but I think there's, there's great incentive in that. And it's something I've seen play out in my own life. And it just makes me very determined. I want to be the best person that I can be because someday down the road, someone is going to be learning about me and I would like them to know that they can hold their head high because I haven't sullied the family name, you know, with with, uh, abandoning my own character.
0: It's interesting that you would say that. Brigham Young once said, you will have more friends in the spirit world than you do down here. I believe that's true. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think it's true as well. And, you know, there's there's a there's a very strong spirit of Elijah vibe that is going on right now in our family. And it's, you know, the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers. The hearts of the fathers will turn to the children. I see it playing out. And now my family is kind of being expanded. I I feel like that spirit is even magnified uh, a bit more. It's 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 very powerful to me. And it just reaffirms to me. um, I tell you, I've never thought more deeply about life and about the purpose of life than I have in these last few weeks. as I've connected with the individuals who brought me into this world and made it possible for my mom and dad to have a family of their own. Um, It it all fits together, and I'm just more convinced than ever. This is all part of the the beneficial plan, you know, of a loving Father in heaven.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say about this matter before we go to another topic?
1: Nope, I think we covered it well.
0: Yeah, it's amazing what you can cover in uh, 25 minutes, isn't it? Anyway, because you're a good um, interviewer,
1: Kevin. You know how to cover a lot of territory. <laughs> yeah. Route two, two.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about podcasting. Uh, you and I think the future of radio is podcasting. I don't think radio is ever going to go away, though. I know Sam Bushman thinks uh, it'll go away eventually, but even he would tell you the big radio stations like KSL, KFI, they're going to be around for a long time. I don't think radio is going away, but I think you're going to see radio, and I'm already starting to see it in my life. Radio is playing less and less of a significance in my life. For example, you'll probably be surprised when you find out I'm up here in Billings, Montana. I don't know what half the call letters of radio stations are. Or I don't know half the radio. I know some, but the reason I don't is because radio is just not as fun to listen to as it was 30 years ago. So I don't know if you're surprised by that or not. Um, I don't. Uh, it's still
1: changing, and obviously, it's still uh, taking on. You know, it's whatever its final form is going to be. Um, I don't. I, I'll have to admit, I don't follow the goings-on in radio as closely as I once did.
0: Yeah, even though I, I, I
1: still, I still have a special place in my heart for it, and I always will. But um, I just see the the digital medium is is making things possible that uh, that weren't possible when you were limited to just the, the geographic footprint of a terrestrial radio signal.
0: Okay, sorry about that. I had an interruption there. Um, That's a good thing. That's why I ordered an on-off switch for my microphone. Um, Yeah, so I I just, with uh, the advent of the Amazon Echo and the invention of podcasting and the fact that I can listen to radio stations that I grew up with on the internet through my iPhone, I just don't have much desire to follow the radio stations up here like I would have even 10 years, even uh, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And it sounds like you're becoming the same way. So let's talk about podcasting. You know, it's interesting the way that we listen to podcasts have evolved. I don't know if you remember, but back in 2003, probably up until about 2012, 2013, You used to have to know the RSS feed to even get somebody's podcast. You used to have to download a program called Juice or iPodder. there were a bunch of them out there. Now you just go straight to your phone and pick up any podcast you want. What concerns me about this, though, is people like Alex Jones are being deplatformed and uh, gosh, I could be deplatformed at any time. I've had some controversial people on here. What's going to happen then when the average person does not know how to access podcasts through a web browser or via RSS feed or whatever? That's why I keep my website up. I, people could probably say, you should just take your website down. And you'll be on the platforms. Yeah, but if, that, if I ever get to platformed, guess what? You can come to my website. What's your opinion of all? How do you think this is going to be remedied if you or I get to from all the big podcasters out there? All the big platforms, I should say.
1: Well, it's it's the tech giants like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube that seem to really be uh, engaging in that, uh, uh, you know, corporate censorship. And and I don't know. Maybe maybe you know some of the big platforms like Pandora or iHeartRadio or you know Apple Podcasts or, or Google Play. Maybe they'll they'll start cracking down too. I think the key they already is, have
0: with Alex Jones,
1: right? You, I think the key is you just got to diversify and you've got to be able to to build your own platform. I know Ben Swan is working on a platform right now. I just heard him talking about it earlier today that, that hopes to challenge this. And you know these big tech giants have a head start, but as long as there is a, as long as there is a, an online avenue through which we can go we can always find another way The the gatekeepers can't keep us from speaking. And I, I would encourage people, you know, whether it's blogging, whether it's podcasting, if, if you feel like you have a message to say, uh, you need to do it, speak and, and know that every time you continue to speak out, you know, you are winning at least as far as, you know, the cause of, of uh, Liberty or the cause of free speech is concerned.
0: Yeah. Um, just a heads up, I'm thinking about, and I don't want to get into this too deeply because I'm still in the thought process. I am thinking of switching this podcast in a different direction just because it's such a tight niche podcast. There's other areas I'd like to get into. I've thought about the possibility of just phasing this podcast out over the next year. I haven't decided yet. That's why I still pay the $20 a month to keep this up here with Blueberry and Anchor.fm. By the way, I have some questions to ask you when we're done with the podcast, if you've got time. But okay. that's why I'm on as many platforms as I can get on, uh, because, like you said, if one deplatforms me, I can be on another. Now, if I get completely deplatformed, I hope people know how to access my podcast the old fashioned way, just like we used to from 2003 to about 2012.
1: Yeah, it's. It's good to be on as many as you as many platforms as you can reasonably get on. Um I don't know. I, I'm on probably a couple dozen different platforms right now. The the downside is you don't have as much time to spend developing each one of them, you know. Um, so it 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 can spread you a little bit thin, but it also gives you a lot of different avenues. And um I just I would encourage people, you know, get out there and and be part of the podcasting world. It doesn't cost that much. No, it doesn't. It. If, if you want to learn how to create a good professional sounding podcast, it's not that hard. There are plenty of how-to videos online, especially on YouTube. And, and some of the services you mentioned, Anchor FM. Um, I mean, with a smartphone and a quiet place, you mm-hmm. can put together all of the elements, the the theme music, the transitions, even commercials and whatnot. You can put that together and sound competent. You know, you're not going to sound like a kid sitting in the garage with a tape recorder.
0: Yeah, with that hissing sound.
1: And then I you mean, talk. I remember how we used to have <laughs> to do it. You know, in, in the old days of if you want to build a studio at home, well, it's going to cost you $30,000 to do it right. No, yeah. you, you can put together an incredible sounding studio for, for very, very inexpensive. And now the, the Rodecaster Pro, I just invested in one of those a little earlier this year. And man, I got to tell you, I will sing the praises of that device. It will connect via Bluetooth to your laptop or your, your smartphone. And the sound quality is just incredible. And again, all you need is a quiet place to record. And if anybody's thinking, well, gee, I'd like to get into it, but I don't know what to do. 600 bucks, man. That's what it will cost you to put one of those, you know, together. And it, it just, I don't know. The technology has made it so it's very affordable. You just got to decide what's my message and then get out there and do the work of marketing it. I mean, it's not like, you know, well, if I just speak, you know, people are going to show up. You got to toot your horn and you got to reach out to them so they know that you're there.
0: Yeah, let me say something about that too. I have not done the best of marketing it um, just because I, I, I don't know how to market this podcast very well. And I understand it's so tight niched. That It's just kind of hard, but let me just talk about getting into the podcast, and uh, let me bounce this off of you, see what you think. I was dating a girl back in 2015 who begged me uh, probably two or three days a week to get into podcasting, and I said, I, don't, I want to get into podcasting, but I want to do it right. I don't have the equipment. I don't know what to order. I don't even have the money to order the equipment, even if I knew what to order. And she just said, "Well, just get started. And I thought, you know what? I'm tired of her begging me. I'm tired of her nagging at me to do this. And so guess what? I started, I bought a, let's see, I had a ProLogic headset mic combo. Really, really cheap. Anybody can go to Best Buy and get one. No, this is not a plug for Best Buy. Anybody can go get it on Amazon or wherever. It's just a cheap little thing for amateurs, and that's what I started with. And then I bought a more expensive mic eventually from Best Buy and another one. And eventually, I moved up here to Montana, saved a little bit of money, and uh, now I've got a Focusrite. I have a Shure SM38SW. The SW stands for Switch. And I think this podcast is sounding better than ever. Of course, I could have a better mic, and maybe that'll come. So what do you think? Do you think maybe just getting started with cheap equipment might be the way to go at first?
1: Yeah, if you wait until you're perfectly ready, you'll never be ready. So Good my point. advice would be go ahead and jump in, even if it's less than optimal. The, the, it's so simple now, especially with, with things like Anchor FM. Seriously, with a smartphone, that's all you really need. To, to start and to launch. And you can build it from there. But got, this is the, the important part. You've got to be willing to keep learning. You've got to be willing to you know, do your homework and ascertain what will help me sound better. How can I better market it? Um, be willing to pay that price. And you know, just do it as a, It's a work in progress. You'll get better at it. Your audience will grow. And you'll encounter things along the way that you didn't know initially. But do it now. Don't put it off. The time to start was three years ago, so get started now, and three years from now, you won't be regretting that you're still waiting.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I wonder how many people listen to this podcast that I don't know are out there. Do you ever wonder that with your podcast? Oh, yeah, all the time. Especially now that I'm on so many platforms. Anyway, is there anything else you want to add? Let's uh, wrap this up here.
1: Um, I have nothing else to add, but, man, it's great talking with you again.
0: Yeah, I will talk to you later, folks.